welcome, friends, to our latest episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. And this is going to be a little bit of a backpedal because this year we want to begin focusing on the Haftarah. The Haftarah it comes from the root word uh, of, similar to the word Maftir, the additional portion. So the Haftarah is actually a portion from the prophets and uh, generally, I believe sometimes it comes from the writings of the Ketuvim, the last part of the Bible in a Jewish publication. But uh, Nitzavim, we didn't talk about the Haftarah, and I felt like it was important and impactful this year. So I'm going to go ahead and do a, a fairly you know, brief episode on that Haftarah, and that way we can work our way all the way through the year, at starting with this new year, uh, the next portion we'll do was from this week, and then Vazot Habracha is coming up in the coming week. So uh, thank you for your patience and understanding, and I hope this is edifying and blessing to you. Uh, Abba Father, thank you for this opportunity to discuss and delve into the Haftarah, the Parashot, that so often don't get a lot of attention. We thank you and praise you for your word, and we ask, Father, for your edification and for your spirit to minister to us in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, friends, so let's take a look at an article called The Nitzavim Haftarah in a Nutshell. This comes from Chabad.org. So the Haftarah portion for Nitzavim, uh, Nitzavim means standing, I believe, and it is the, uh, let's take a look here, uh, word for you are all standing. So in the Torah portion, it's, it says, Atim Nitzavim Hayom. You are all standing this day. So uh, let's take a look at the Haftarah and see what it says. All right. So Isaiah 61, verse 10 through 63, 9. This week's Haftarah is the seventh and final installment of a series of seven Haftarot of Consolation. The seven Haftarot commence on the Shabbat following Tisha B'Av and continue until Rosh Hashanah. The prophet begins on a high note, describing the great joy that we will experience with the final redemption, comparing it to the joy of a newly married couple. Now this may sound like review if you listen to our episode on the parasha of Nitzavim, but that was more focused on the Torah portion. We did cover some of this, but I'm going to go ahead and reiterate it uh, for the impact and uh, also just so you know uh, this was a leap year so our power show for the year were read individually whereas in most years in 12 years out of the 19 year cycle on the hebrew slash jewish slash biblical calendar uh, we combine several torah portions so this year we'll look into that which ones are combined but this year uh, there, I believe, were no combined portions. So Nitzavim Vayelech were separated, and Nitzavim stood, ha get it, stood all on its own. All right, so uh, the prophet begins on a high note, describing the great joy we'll experience with the final redemption, comparing it to the joy of a newly married couple. Isaiah then declares his refusal to passively await the redemption. For Zion's sake, I will not remain silent, and for the sake of Yerushalayim, I will not be still until her righteousness emerges like shining light. He implores the stones of Yerushalayim not to be silent day or night until God restores Yerushalayim and establishes it in glory. The Haftarah then recounts God's oath to eventually redeem Zion when the Jews or Israel will praise God in Jerusalem. The Haftarah also contains a description of the punishment God will mete out to Edom and the enemies of Israel. 
Isaiah concludes with the most famous statement, In all Israel's afflictions, he too is afflicted, and the angel of his presence redeemed him. Like a loving father who shares the pain of his child, God too shares the pain of his people and awaits the redemption along with them. All right, so let's take a look at something called the Nitzavim Haftarah Companion. So the Haftarah of Nitzavim is the last of the seven Haftarah of Consolation, as well as the Haftarah read on the last Shabbat of the year. So I'm going to just break away from the article for a second. The reason that I also wanted to do this was because um, the last Shabbat of the year was a very busy time getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur. So we haven't been on the air in over a week. And I wanted to close out the year and start the new year with a focus on the Haftarot, like I said earlier. So our goal will be to do at least one podcast per week focusing on the Haftarah for a full cycle, a full 52 weeks. So next year, or this coming year, I should say, in at the end of this year, 5783, uh, Nitzavim will be read with Vayelech. So this is a unique opportunity to separate and focus only on Nitzavim, and then on our next episode, uh, Vayelech, and then the next episode after that, Vazor HaBracha, which is the final Torah portion of the cycle, even though it's read after the new year, at the end of the week of Sukkot on Sheminiyat Selech. Okay, so, continuing. <sighs> See, as noted in a previous article, while all seven of these Haftarot are taken from the book of Isaiah, they are not read in the order they appear in scripture. Sidur Rashi and Tosafot maintain that the pattern in which we read these segments is that of an escalation in the level of consolation contained with each one. It follows, therefore, that this seventh and final Haftarah constitutes the peak of hope and redemption. Indeed, the narrative is filled with intense, passionate, and fiery devotion. The joy of young newlyweds is used by, newlyweds is used by the prophet to describe the kind of joy we will experience at the final redemption. The Jewish people will be bound to their land and to God with the inseparable bond of a young bride and groom. Although the days of Mashiach will essentially be our reinstatement and return to how things were in the to how things were before the exile, and return to how things were the exile. I think there's a missing word in there. The level on which this will all take place will entirely eclipse even the greatest days of Jewish glory or Israel's glory. It is therefore compared to the joy of a young and never married bride and groom, whose joy is pure and unbounded. In this vein, the verses describe the fact that Yerushalayim will be renamed in time to come. Until now, Yerushalayim will be known as a forsaken and desolate place, but at this time, any such association will be entirely erased. It will be referred as the very opposite, sought after, and God's desire is in her. With great fervor, the prophet describes the oaths taken by God and the Jewish people, never to forget the plight of Yerushalayim. God designates constant reminders, never allowing Jerusalem to fall off the godly agenda. He designated angels on high and the Jewish people below constantly, multiple times each day. Remind God and beseech him for the restoration of his holy city and all that it represents. The stones of Jerusalem itself pose a silent but immovable protest. Do not give the prophet urges until the bitter exile will come to an end. We and they will never be silenced. All right, lost my place. Throughout the Bible, Edom is signified or identified as the nation who brings about the agony of the Jewish exile. 
In the next part of this Haftarah, God is described as a warrior who single-handedly meets out deservedly devastating blow, blows to this colossus of evil doing. The prophet pictures an onlooker marveling at this mighty individual who returns from the capital city with blood-stained clothes and who receives a reply from the warrior that he has finally done justice after such a long period of excruciating restraint. Mighty Edom has had its pride and lifeblood entirely drained. The warrior emphasizes how he has done this alone, referring to the fact that regardless of the apparent merit or fault of, the, of Israel at the time, God will do his part, with or without the help of meritorious deeds. The Haftarah ends with an awakening to the present. God had chosen the Jewish people, or the people of Israel, knowing that untimely, sorry, ultimately they would not falter. He had elevated them and bestowed goodness on them like no other people in history. He is there with them in all their pain and suffering, carrying them throughout it until they reach the destiny of their final redemption. Joy and exaltation. An important aspect of note is that our Haftarah is read just as we usher in the new year and the high holiday season, which we just got through with. Even though the reading seems to carry a different theme, there are still a number of verses in, that, in it that are deeply connected with the preparation for an experience of the high holidays. An exp example of this can be found in the opening words of the Haftarah, I will rejoice intensely, so sasis, with the Lord, my soul will exalt, tagel, with my God. The two Hebrew roots used here are sason and gilah. The difference between the two is that sason den denotes a joy that is outwardly and visibly displayed, whereas gilah is an introverted and deeper feeling of exaltation, with little or nothing visibly apparent. Spiritually, there is something incredible incredibly great, contained in the mitzvah of hearing the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. The godly vitality that creates and sustains all of creation is something that obviously emanates from God himself. We are told that although the decision for creation in the general sense was made long ago, the entire project is rethought every Rosh Hashanah, the anniversary of man's creation, and woman, man being the agent through whom is fulfilled the objective for which creation came into being in the first place, and woman being his soulmate, his Connecto. She was created in opposition to him and to oppose him, standing in front of him and in a way against him, but also to be submitted and to be his helpmate. God has to, so to speak, rediscover what drove him to create. As it is in the human condition, coming forth, quote unquote, to a place or situation necessitates a drive, a level of pleasure that will push the person to action. Let me read that again. That's a really impactful statement. As it is in the human condition, quote, coming forth, unquote, to a place or situation necessitates a drive, a level of pleasure that will push the person to action. A person will be able to do things seemingly very far from his personality, as long as some pleasure lies within this particular deed. A genius whose life is devoted to the most abstract of sciences can enjoy sitting on the floor and playing with a small child. The small, innocent, and loving child is a source of pleasure to this great man, even though his entire persona is so distant from the world of child's play. The sounds of the shofar are the sounds of a cry. The shofar itself is shaped such that the sound begins with a narrow hole and bursts outwards in an alarming sound. The concept behind this is that indeed at this time, when the vital essence of the physical world as a whole is brought to the fore, the Jew realizes and meditates on how lowly and distant from godliness is this physical world, and its microcosm, man himself. Just being a physical being and a part of a material world shakes the Jew to the core as he, create, as he cries out in want for godliness. 
if his enjoyment and attachment is more to some tasty food than a Torah study and prayer, then this means he is not remotely close to anything godly. This deep feeling of lack and want actually touches, reveals, and brings forth the essence of God himself. The arousal from below brings a similar arousal from on high. The desperate cry of the Jew arouses the desire of God to be there with and for the physical Jew in the material world. This, in turn, is what elicits the renewed drive and vitality for the sustained creation of the physical world itself. The emotional outcome from all this is a dual one. On the one hand, as we emphasize and elaborate upon in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, this is the day when God becomes king of the world. God's presence re-enters the entirety of the world for the coming year. There is barely any other response to this than to stand in awe. Deeper down, the heart of the, of the Jew or the Israelite is filled with deep exaltation and elation about the cause for all of this. God's essential bond that is in him and with him, its revelation elicited by the mitzvah of Shofar. Excuse me. The open joy emerges in the outburst of rejoicing of the festival of Sukkot. Climaxing in Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah, it is there that this essential desire and pleasure of God in the Jew emerge in the fullness of its glory. Sukkot is the time when the Jew enters a Sukkot. God embraces the Jew entirely and takes him into his presence. The joy now is open and unbounded. And we'll cover the dates and why. Sukkot is seven days plus one plus another day, which is Simchat Torah, and where that all came from. It takes very short time, a very short time to explain, so I'll explain that in just a moment. So it is these two forms of elation described in the verse at the beginning of the Haftarah that actually encapsulate the entire experience of the High Holidays. It is important to note that in the order the verse has it, Sason, the open joy, precedes Gila, the hidden joy. The reason, wow, that's really deep. Think about that. It is important to note that in the order the verse has it, Sason, the open joy, precedes Gilah, the hidden joy. The reason for this is that there will always be a level of open joy at all times. The Code of Jewish Law elaborates upon the fact that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are festivals, in honor of which festive clothing should be worn. And in the case of Rosh Hashanah, festive meals should be prepared. The joy we have in being Jewish, or in our case, if we're not Jewish, being part of the Commonwealth of Israel and having salvation in Yeshua as our Messiah, and being able to fulfill the divine intention will always be open and apparent, especially at such a time as Rosh Hashanah. Now, I want to go another step there that they didn't talk about. You can always have open joy, even if you don't feel it inside. But many times, if we put on the new clothes, if we put on the attitude of the festival, in this case, I believe it's Deuteronomy 13 or 16, um, that you see, uh, let me find it, that... The, um, the joy, if you, if you force it out, then it will, it will transform you inside. And during this week, we're commanded in Devarim, Deuteronomy, where it talks about Sukkot, to have joy and only joy. So you're not allowed to feel sadness or sorrow or anything else this week. Now, I mean, I won't go into like if somebody passes away, God forbid, but uh, let's see, verse 13, Deuteronomy... 16. Okay, Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You shall make yourself the festival of Sukkot for seven days when you gather in the produce from your threshing floor in your vat. Okay. 
and you shall rejoice in your festival, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are within your cities. Seven days shall you celebrate the festival to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God shall choose, which which the Lord shall choose because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce and all the work of your hands and you will be only happy. Okay, so the phrase here is, You shall only have joy. So, very important. I don't know if that exact phrase appears elsewhere, but it is part of the festival to uh, in, to use your will to rejoice and only rejoice. So, ach sameach is only be happy. So, let's look at the Rashi commentary on that real quick before we go back to, uh, let's see, Rashi commentary says... Okay, 13. Okay, he says, and you'll only be happy. According to its simple meaning, this is not an expression denoting a command, but rather an expression of an assurance, i.e., I promise you that you will be happy. But according to its oral interpretation, our rabbis learned from this to include the night before the last day of the festival for the obligation of rejoicing. Now that is from Sukkah 48a. In the Mishnah or Talmud, I apologize, I do not know which. So, just know that this is a festival where if you push yourself on the outside, it will, it's like the Sukkah. The Sukkah surrounds us no matter what mood we're in, no matter how we look. It's a festival that you're, the only festival that you can enter with the mud on your shoes. Okay, because it's an outdoor festival and it's for everyone. It's for the unlearned, for the learned and everyone in between. That's what the four species represent. And uh, that is in our previous uh, Sukkot podcast. If we get to do another one this year, I'll, I'll cover that. Now, let's take a look at Sukkot. So Sukkot day one from Leviticus 23 is on Tishri 15. Okay, that is the evening uh, as we go into the 15th, right? So five days after Yom Kippur is over. So you count 11, 12, 13, 14. And then on the fifth day after Yom Kippur, the 15th, obviously, Tishri 15, that's when Sukkot starts. That is a Yom Tov or a holiday or a Shabbaton. So that's a day you don't do any servile work, okay? The restrictions are not as high as Shabbat, but it is a holiday where you refrain from work, okay? So uh, Sukkot 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, okay? And, and yeah, 21 are the six Chol uh, Hamoed days, okay? So those are the days, meaning the intermediate days of the festival. Those are regular work days, but you still, uh, you know, have, you, ha- you say Hallel in the Minyan, in the morning service, and you still... Uh, eat and live as much as you want in the sukkah. Now day seven, uh, which is Tishri 21, that is Hoshana Rabbah. Okay, that is the day of the great Hoshiana, the day of the great calling of salvation. And that is, uh, that is not a Yom Tov, okay? The Yom Tov is Shemini Atzeret, according to Leviticus 23, Vayikra 23, so day eight from the first day of Sukkot, it's connected to Sukkot, but Sukkot is now over. And many people, I, I think most people, do not continue to use the Sukkot. It is only for seven days. And that, that retains a certain sanctity and special 
you know, special uniqueness and, and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a special vitality for just those seven days out of the whole year. So um, I had a friend last year who wanted to spend like, you know, 10 to 12 days in the sukkah. But, you know, I told them we had to take it down because then it becomes mundane and you don't want that. So the sukkah is only for the seven days. The eighth day is called Shemini Atzeret, which means the eighth conclusion or the eighth day of assembly or the eighth day. Basically, it's like the Sukkot after party. It's the day in which God says, all the nations that have come up to worship me, they can go home, but I want one last day with my daughter and my bride, Israel. So daughter or bride, they're kind of both. It's a very kind of like, you know, special relationship and, you know, uh, we're the bride of Messiah, but we're the daughter of God. So, you know, uh, that may be a kingdom mystery we have to figure out on the other side of heaven. But be that as it may, uh, that is Shemini Atzeret. Okay, so where did Simchat Torah come from? All right, Simchat Torah came from, in the diaspora, Sim, uh, Shemini Atzeret is observed for two days. So Simchat Torah is when you rewind the Torah and you read the last verses of Devarim, Deuteronomy, and you go all the way back to Genesis, and there's a special blessing for people who come up and they're honored and special, um, unique opportunities for people to come up and read from the Torah, and it's rewound to the beginning. And uh, so Simchat Torah is really day two of Shemini Atzeret in the diaspora. In Israel, Simchat Torah is celebrated on Shemini Atzeret, and it is just one day. All right, friends, we're going to call it, we're going to wrap it for tonight and uh, squeeze in all of Nitzavim, Haft Torah, uh, in that uh, amount of time with some connection to Sukkot. We're approaching the end of the cycle and we will be back for another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. We never want to leave our episode uh, and wrap it without inviting you to make Yeshua your Messiah. Yeshua resurrected and ascended into heaven as our Messiah, the Redeemer and Salvation of all people, both Jew and Gentile. To the Jew first and equally to the non-Jew, the Gertoshav, the stranger or the dweller among Israel. May you be blessed and encouraged. And Chag Sameach, Happy New Year, Shana Tova, and Chag Sukkot Sameach, if you're listening to this during the seven days of Sukkot. God bless you. Shalom and Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm.